Welcome to the Mercy Hill Church Podcast. This podcast is a collection of sermons and conversations intended to stir up your affections for Jesus. We hope this content helps you know and tell the story of Jesus better. So uh, good morning, everyone. My name's Mitchell. Uh, You know, I typically lead worship here, and I know some of you may not recognize me without like a guitar in my hands, but this is me. Um, And uh, speaking of hands, I have no idea what to do with them. So uh, please excuse any like, you know, awkward hand talking or might have to resort to air guitar. Uh, Who knows? It's all part of the plan, trying to figure this out. Seriously, though, just want to thank, uh, thank Brandon for giving me the opportunity to share today. Uh, it's never happened before. Uh, I can guarantee that it'll probably never happen again, uh, sort of like a solar eclipse or the Atlanta Falcons winning the Super Bowl. You're witnessing history, and I'll try not to let you down like the Falcons would. Uh, so enough of that. Uh, in this series, we've been talking about our habits and how our habits shape our affections. Uh, So today, I'm just delighted to be able to share with you a little bit about worship, specifically gathering together for corporate worship. Why do we gather? How does it shape us? And in a world where we can work from our bathtubs, order dinner online, and find all the world's most prolific preachers and worship bands right there on Spotify, is it even necessary? Isn't it time, perhaps, for the local church to go the way of Blockbuster Video or Toys R Us or the Sony Walkman? What is the actual point of our gathering? And should you even bother coming back next week? And to be clear, I think that's a fair question. So in this day and age, when efficiency is king, would this time be better spent doing something else? And so I'd love to begin this morning by reading together from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. And while you're turning there or scrolling there or just waiting for it to pop up on the screen, which will inevitably happen, I'll go ahead and let the cat out of the bag and say, I do think what we call corporate worship is essential. So in the book of Hebrews, uh, the writer continually refers to Jesus as our great high priest. He touts Jesus' superiority over the law of Moses and Old Testament worship practices due to his sufficiency to fulfill them. We've talked about this, but in the past, the presence of God dwelled in a particular place, in the temple, in the most holy place. And once per year, the high priest would enter that place bringing sacrifices and making atonement for the people. The book of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus himself has become our high priest. He's made atonement for all and forever by the spilling of his own blood. He's our perfect priest who became a perfect sacrifice, and by him we can all draw near to God. We have access to these holy places, to God's very presence. So picking up in chapter 10, verse 19. Let's read this together. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Or in other words, 
our gathering together has never been more important. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you've atoned for our sins, thereby allowing us to draw near to you and worship. I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. Would you filter out anything that's not of you? Would you help me to be faithful in the midst of this rare and wonderful opportunity? Help me to decrease that you might increase. Speak to us now. Amen. So can I say, because I'm not allowed to talk very often, uh, that it's one of the great joys of my life to lead worship here at Mercy Hill. Uh, you guys are always so encouraging to me, and it's not rare that after the service or whatever, I'll be pulled aside and someone will give me like a kind word, which is totally undeserved, but very much appreciated. And one of the things that I hear more than anything, one of the kind of comments that I've received uh, more often than any other goes something like this, brother... Thank you so much for leading us to the throne room this morning. And I do appreciate that. Like, I appreciate the sentiment tied up in that statement. And I know the heart behind it. And I'm not trying to be sanctimonious here, but I have a confession to make. I, as a worship leader, cannot lead you to the throne room. Never have, never will. I lead worship, but I can't even really do that. Worship is not dependent upon me, the band, the PA system, the music, or even this building. Brace yourself, because the Jesus juke is coming. <laughs> Jesus is your worship leader. And this is a key premise of the book of Hebrews. So earlier in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, the writer says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, that's God the Father, and bringing many sons to glory, that would be us who have been saved, should make the founder of their salvation, that's Jesus, Perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. Saying that Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully human, just like us. And that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, quoting from Psalm 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I'll sing your praise. So this passage describes Jesus as our big brother who worships the Father by singing. He teaches us how to sing. He's shown us more than anything or anyone else what God is truly like, and he sings praises to God before us. And not only that, but he sings God's praises in the midst of the congregation, among us, the gathered church. So when you're telling people about your worship leader, uh, you can go beyond talking about whether or not he's good at guitar or whether he has a nice voice or how skinny his jeans are. And you just tell them that the worship leader at your church is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Maybe not. That would brace them for, uh, set them up for disappointment. But seriously, I do want to say that it's such an encouragement to me as a worship leader to know that he is leading my imperfect worship with perfect worship. And then going back to chapter 10, which we read before, uh, verses 19 through 22, we see that he quite literally leads us to the throne room. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In that little section, we see the first of three exhortations in this paragraph. 
You might call it an exhortation salad. You see it? In ESV, they all start with the words lettuce. So you get it, lettuce, exhortations. Sorry. I, I was expecting the groans, but I don't care. Uh, I'm going to stick with that because Brandon uh, hates lettuce. So it's my way of trolling, trolling him this morning. So let us, uh, let us draw near. Uh, that drawing near is even an option is incredible. That it's a commandment is unfathomable. So remember from way back at the beginning of this series, uh, the people of Israel could not even look at Moses' radiant face after he had been in the presence of God. And before that, in Exodus 3, uh, when Moses stands before the burning bush, God warns him from the bush, do not come any closer. And here we see the exact opposite, draw near. So the perfect set list, the right mood lighting, the best band, the most heartfelt prayer, the most perfect soaring melody loudly sung could never get us into the presence of God. We can only draw near to him because of our great high priest, our perfect worship leader, who laid down his perfect life and spilled his perfect blood that we might receive atonement for our sins and confidently draw near to a holy God. And that's the reality that we're drawn into when we worship. It takes way more than a comfortable room with good coffee and professional musicians hitting each note flawlessly. It takes a perfect savior laying down his life. I'm so thankful for our per perfect worship leader who gave himself for us and who sings among us. In verse 23, we find the next exhortation. Let us hold fast. So let us hold fast, the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So over the course of this series, we've talked about our tendency to drift. If you've been here over the last month, uh, you might remember Brandon's illustration with my guitar, which really kind of freaked me out. Uh, but like a guitar, we have a tendency to go out of tune uh, due to the forces of our world acting against us. And the truth of God's promises is independent of how we feel about them. Once we believed upon the gospel and embraced the wonderful truth that we have access to God's presence thanks to the saving work of Jesus, it seems like the enemy and our fallen world and our fleshly desires do everything possible to make us forget those promises. It's so easy for us to put our hope and our trust in good things that aren't Jesus. So remember the premise of this series. Uh, we, what we behold, we become. We're shaped by what we hope in. We're shaped by our small day-in, day-out habits. So having drawn near to God, let us fight to keep our eyes on him. This may be harder now than ever. There's so many things literally screaming for our attention. We have access to more distractions now than at any point in history. So this doesn't happen automatically. And that's what so much of the series is about. His promises are true in spite of our circumstances. He's Lord even when the chaos around us says otherwise. So let us hold fast. And so that brings us to our third exhortation. Let us consider. So picking up in verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one, one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So our exhortations, as we draw near, as we hold fast, what are we to consider? How to stir one another up to live lives that are zealous for God, to help one another and to encourage one another to walk out our faith in love and good works. Love can't exist 
if we're isolated. The Christian life was not meant to be lived in a vacuum. Uh, I love this quote I stumbled upon recently from Elton Trueblood. As everyone knows, it's almost impossible to create a fire with one log, even if it's a sound one. While several poor logs may make an excellent fire if they stay together as they burn. So you can have it all together. You can spend hours attending to God in prayer. You can read your Bible cover to cover. You can commit it to memory. You can be able to recall it. But you will never burn as brightly as you could if you were in community with other believers. So let us consider how to fan this flame into a roaring fire. So how are we to do that? The author of Hebrews gives us a not-so-subtle hint in verse 25. It's by not neglecting to meet together. So this brings us back to the original question, and it's where we'll park for the rest of our time together. Is our gathering together essential? Why don't YouTube and Facebook streaming, everybody out there, uh, podcasts and Spotify serve as fitting alternatives? Because corporate worship is not about content delivery. And consuming quality content can certainly be helpful and encouraging. Believe me, I consumed a lot of content as I prepared for this. But consuming quality content does not fulfill the function that God intended for corporate worship to fulfill. It's the gathering itself that's important. To borrow a phrase from Justin Early, it's about communing, not consuming. At this point, I think it might be helpful to try to kind of slap a definition on things. What are we talking about when we talk about corporate worship? In some ways, I think the phrase itself might be just a little bit misleading or it might, uh, might, not, uh, might lead to some confusion about what exactly is supposed to happen when we gather here. How's this whole thing supposed to work? So honestly, Scripture is pretty permissive when it comes to the structure of our worship services. We see many forms and examples of worship interspersed throughout Scripture, but there's no detailed prescription for what exactly must happen when we gather together. Throughout Scripture, we see God's people gather together in prayer, singing, shouting, and praise, sitting under biblical teaching, giving generously, observing ordinances such as communion and baptism, and conducting themselves in a modest and orderly manner. We try to stick to these things as much as possible. But believe it or not, there's nothing in Scripture indicating that this should happen on a Sunday or that it should only last an hour or so or that it should happen in any particular place like a church building. And there's this term we throw around in the church uh, that you may have heard before. It's called liturgy. It's a fancy word. And for some of you, as it does for me, uh, it might bring to mind kind of a high church sort of tradition uh, with a very distinct order of worship uh, where things are done in the same way every time. There might be creeds that are spoken together. Uh, there might be a particular way of dressing. The clergy can often be found wearing robes and vestments. There may be even things that are uh, really foreign to us, like uh, the burning of incense or that sort of thing. And though many churches uh, in our tradition are far less rigid than this, rest assured, every single church has its own liturgy, whether we know it or not. And liturgy is simply what we do when we gather together. And everything we do when we gather together for worship communicates something about God, whether we know it or not, for better or for worse. And I don't wanna to make too much of what I do here, but I do want you to take me to task on this, and many of you do already. In many ways, when we gather together, uh, we're literally putting words in your mouth through the songs that we sing and through the things that we do together. 
And that's a big responsibility. So our worship services are about demonstration. Our church's liturgy is really just our collective habits. And as we've said, it's our habits that shape our affections. Have you ever spent like way too much time with a friend? So you go on a trip with them for a week or so, and before you know it, you catch yourself talking like them and even thinking like them or acting like them. And it's kind of like that. See, week in and week out in leading our church, we're tasked with instilling habits in the hearts of the people who come. For some of you, uh, that may mean that you can't even walk into a church service without feeling a craving for one of Miss Kathy's wonderful muffins. But hopefully, even more than that, uh, you leave with patterns of thinking about the gospel and a common language of faith etched into your lexicon. Despite differing opinions and interests and life situations, that we would all adopt common mannerisms of faith. So for putting words in your mouth, and if all that we do communicates something about God, then it's essential that we guard and protect what goes in to our Sunday morning services, and just as importantly, what stays out. So how do we do that? I'm gonna peel back the curtain just a little bit so you can take a peek at the master plan. So never done this before, super secret information. So here we go. Uh, we aren't perfect here. But everything we do, we seek to do with intention. So Brandon mentioned this about a month ago, but in the songs that we sing, we try to tell the gospel story. We try to start with songs that proclaim the vastness of God and his glory, and we try to follow that up with songs that remind us, of, uh, remind us of how he draws us near to him in Jesus and invite us to respond to him in gratitude. John did exactly that uh, this morning uh, in the way that he, that he put the set list together this morning. And so it's our hope that this would inform your conversations, that you will in turn be able to tell others about this big, unapproachable God who stooped down to save us and draw us near. When you walk through these doors, we want you to remember that you're right where you're supposed to be, not because of anything that you did or didn't do, but because of what Jesus accomplished on your behalf in laying down his life for you. That's why every couple of weeks, we give this long and semi-awkward formal welcome uh, using the same words every time, reminding you that regardless of what you've done or how you feel, Jesus is the ally of his enemies, the defender of the guilty, the justifier of the inexcusable, the restorer of the broken, and the friend of sinners. It's our hope that when you come to worship, you'll instantly and automatically be aware of the fact that God's grace is sufficient for you and he eagerly longs for you to draw near to him. In our times of prayer together, we want to model how to pray prayers of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. We did that just this morning. We prayed a prayer of confession together. When we preach God's word, we always want to show how every passage we study together points to Jesus in hopes that when you open your Bible, you'll immediately look for those same connections. When we ask you to give, we regularly say we don't want to be a rich church, but a generous church, because we really do want to be a people marked by generosity when we send you out, we want to leave you with a succinct word about where the word of God intersects our lives. So everything from where the band sits to why we meet in this particular building to the type of lighting and technology we use is intended to communicate and demonstrate something about Jesus. And in these small things, we're given an opportunity to plant seeds that will hopefully grow into shaping habits in your own lives. In corporate worship, we have the opportunity to demonstrate in one gospel-informed hour what it means to live a gospel-informed life. But our worship isn't just demonstration, it's also participation. So worship certainly has a vertical aim. 
When we gather together for worship, we want to sing to him. We want to respond to who he is and what he's done in genuine praise. When we open the word of God, we want to meditate upon who he is and respond with devotion and affection. Our personal vertical worship is absolutely part of what we do when we gather together. But, and this may shock you, it's not the main thing. And this is why I say the phrase corporate worship may be a little misleading or it may not play out in the way that we think it does. It's not primarily about having our own personal moment with God. Corporate worship is in many ways, if not mainly, horizontal. Remember what Hebrews chapter 10 says about our gathering together. We gather together, why? To stir one another up, to encourage one another. Many of us can recall times in our lives when we were in a worship service and we just felt the spirit of God moving. Sometimes worship can kind of feel disappointing when we don't have a big emotional moment like that. But even on the day of Pentecost, when the spirit of God descended upon his gathered people, what did they do? They began speaking in various tongues, but the Jews from every nation could clearly understand them as they were speaking in their own languages. So when the spirit moves in power like we've never seen before, it's not just a personal emotional experience. This was a moment of genuine mutual encouragement. It was not only vertical, it was horizontal. So when many of us think about corporate worship, we think about singing. I know I do. Nothing conveys emotion like music and singing. And we see singing modeled all throughout scripture as if, God's genuine, as if people's genuine affection for God naturally gives way to heartfelt worship through singing. And it's a really a critical component of what we do together. So why is it so critical? Let's see what the New Testament has to say about it. In Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 18 through 19, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You notice anything interesting about this passage? Paul encourages the gathered church at Ephesus to sing and to make melody to the Lord, but there's also this horizontal component. You see it? He encourages them to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Yes, so he's telling them to sing to one another. We see the exact same idea in Colossians 3.16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So Paul instructs the church at Colossae to teach and admonish one another, and then he tells them how to do it. How? By singing. So we're a group of measly, mediocre logs gathered close together with a charge to teach, to encourage, to admonish, to spur one another on, and to stir one another up. And one of the primary ways that we're to do that is through singing. We do it with thankful hearts. It's vertical. We do it with our attention turned to God. It's vertical. But when we sing, we sing to one another, horizontal. We don't do any of this for show, but we do lift our voices to be heard, and we lift our hands to be seen. We do this not to call attention to ourselves, but to point one another to Jesus. We do it with one another, we do this for one another. 
Can I just say that this sets the stage for some of the clearest and most beautiful expressions of gospel hope and gospel community. I'm really a lucky guy, like being able to stand here and look this way, have a way harder time being out there and looking that way. Um, maybe it's just because I'm more needful of leadership, like I'm needful of this whole group leading me in worship. So when I see people who are in the midst of conflict or who maybe don't have very much in common or don't agree on very much, standing shoulder to shoulder, singing the same song, expressing the same hope, worshiping the same God, I see the kingdom of God breaking through. I see the miracle of the gospel on display before my eyes. I've seen many of you who I know are walking through hardship, loss, parenting struggles, relational pain, career upheaval, health battles, and on and on. And you lift your weary hands high and you raise your faltering voice loud enough for us to hear you. And you boldly express that you're putting your hope in Jesus in spite of it all. Is that not instructive? Isn't that teaching me something? Many of us, myself included, can be found guilty of entering into corporate worship, wondering what we can get out of it. And let me say, I really hope you do get something out of it. But the command, the exhortation, the reason to enter into corporate worship is not to get something out of it, it's to give something to it. Even when we're not feeling it, especially maybe when we're not emotionally engaged, that's when we must preach the gospel to ourselves all the more and to our neighbors. So gathering with other believers just like this and stirring one another up is our sacred responsibility. So worship is about communing, not consuming. We commune with one another, that's horizontal, and we commune with God, that's vertical. I don't wanna undersell this, because when we join in corporate worship, we enter into an incredible scene. So remember, Jesus is our worship leader. And even now, he's presiding over an incredible cosmic worship service. And it's one that we get to enter into, where the sound of our singing can be heard. So I wanna read now from Revelation chapter five. We have John, who's seeing this vision and he's just searching for words to give us a glimpse into this wild scene that he is seeing in heaven. The heavenly host is weeping because there's no one worthy to open this scroll. And then Jesus, the lamb, steps forward and triumphantly takes the scroll. So picking up in verse eight. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. If that wasn't incredible enough, check out this because uh, this is us entering into the scene. And I heard every creature 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. When we gather together for worship, it echoes in eternity. It's an essential means by which we are shaped and by which we shape one another. We worship because we need it. We worship because the person sitting next to you needs it. We worship because Jesus is worthy. So where does that leave us? If this is your first time coming, or if you're new to this whole church thing, thank you. It's not lost on me how foreign this whole practice of coming into a room full of people singing at you might be. I hope we've given you a small glimpse this morning of why we do what we do. But more than that, I hope that you've seen that it's through Jesus that we all have the ability to draw near to God, not through anything we've done. If you want to learn more about him, you have any questions, someone will be down front at the next steps table after the service. They'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe you're a believer in Jesus and you're just like not feeling it. Maybe you've forgotten his goodness. Maybe in your heart you've gotten caught up in striving. Maybe you've been beset by failure and doubt. Maybe you've forgotten the gospel. Maybe you're just ready for lunch. In these final moments together, can I just encourage you to worship to remember? Worship to remember his goodness in spite of the way that you feel. Are you just going through the motions? Good. Keep doing that. Eventually, those motions will become habits, and those habits will shape your very heart. Would you sing until these words are true in your heart? Maybe in these moments, you feel a deep abiding sense of joy and gratitude welling up within you. Maybe his goodness feels very real to you right now. Would you let that peace give way to praise? Would you worship him because he's gracious and kind? Would you worship him because the person sitting next to you desperately needs to be reminded of that? Would you worship him because he's worthy? Thanks for listening to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. To keep up with the life of Mercy Hill Church, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We believe the Christian life is best experienced in community. If you're in our area, we'd love for you to join us. If not, we'd love to help you get plugged into a local church near you. Have a great week.